0: 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, looking at verses 10 to 11. There we are. We mentioned the fact that we, um, that we are on our last service here. Um, it's also a reality that we're almost through our study in 1 Peter. Is that a little bit better? Can you hear that okay? All right. I don't know about you, but I have both greatly enjoyed and been greatly challenged by our study in First Peter. It seems hard to believe that we're close to the end of the epistle already. Now, throughout the epistle, Peter has reminded the believers in the first century of their truth, of the truth of their identity in Christ. What did I do with that? Excuse me. There we go. All right. In chapter one, verse three, they're born again. One fourteen, children of God. One seventeen, exiles. One eighteen, ransomed. Chapter two, verse four, chosen and precious. Chapter two five, holy priesthood. Two nine, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, His possession. Two ten, God's people. Two eleven, sojourners and exiles. Two sixteen, free. 217 a brotherhood 224 healed 3 verse 7 heirs of grace 45 living 410 recipients of gifts and stewards 412 beloved 414 blessed 416 Christian 417 household of God 418 righteous 5 verse 1 partaker in the glory to be revealed 57 cared for 510 called. Is that not a remarkable list? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is true of the church as a whole. Not just the first century church. This is your identity in Christ. That's you. And that should be exciting. It is cause for celebration. It is a re- and a response of worship would be totally appropriate. But it's also cause to pause and ponder... Given that this is our identity, how should this impact our activity? How should it affect our attitude and our actions? How should the truth about who and what we are be the driving force be- behind what we do and how we believe? They should be connected. And this is precisely the other side of the coin that Peter instructs us about in his first epistle. In fact, the entire epistle bounces back and forth between these two platforms. Remember who you are in Christ, and therefore let it govern how you live as a believer. The theme of 1 Peter is to live honorably. From 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Here's the verse. Say it with me together. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, our passage today continues that theme. In the last few weeks, we've been especially focusing on our personal conduct. We read verses like self-controlled and sober-minded, and Our behavior towards our fellow believers. Last week, Chris talked about loving one another and showing hospitality. So let's continue in that vein. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4, if you haven't already, and we're just gonna read, um, starting actually at verse 7 for context, because this is a passage that flows together. Verse 7 reads as follows The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And now verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, James one to 22-24 talks about people who hear the word of God and don't act. They're like people who see themselves in a mirror and then go away unchanged. As your children, Father, we would ask you this morning to help us see ourselves as you see us. And through your Holy Spirit, have it change how we live so that the way we behave and speak and respond gives us a way as children of God for your glory and our good. Amen. So a focus statement for this passage that kind of sums up what it's all about is this. As the body of Christ... We have been given gifts, not to serve ourselves, but to serve the body for the glory of God. So, as the body of Christ, we have been given gifts, not to serve ourselves, but to serve the body for the glory of God. We're going to examine five points. I know that's not very Baptist. Baptist is supposed to be three, but I'm not locked into that. We're going to look at five points in this passage, in these two verses, followed by an application. So first, let's consider... The recipients of the gifts. The recipients of the gifts. Let's read the first six words of verse 10 together. I've got it up here on the screen. As each has received a gift. Did you catch that? Who did Peter say has received a gift? Each. Each has received a gift. No believer is superfluous, redundant, or unnecessary. Let me say that again. No believer is superfluous, redundant, or unnecessary. Remember that you have been chosen by God as part of the elect to be a functioning part of the church, his body. And just as each physical body part plays an essential role, so too does each member of the body of Christ play an essential role. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 20-22, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. God has chosen each of us to be an indispensable part of the body, and he has given to each one of us spiritual gifts to be used for the benefit of the body. Paul further writes in Romans 12, verse 6, he says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul is saying that each of us has a gift. Each of us has a gift. But we don't all have the same gifts. And praise God for his infinite wisdom in that. What would happen if we all had the same gift? I'll tell you what would happen. The needs of many people would not be met. It is important that we have gifts that differ. Imagine that. God knew what he was doing. What a crazy thought, eh? I remember in the past, um, my wife and I did some work with the youth group. Um, and I am a little bit more extroverted and my wife is a little bit more introverted. And I noticed in those times when I would go in, I would love to kind of walk into the midst of a group and talk to a bunch of people. My wife would tend to stay towards the perimeters. And there were young people in that group that gravitated to her, did not gravitate toward me. She was quieter. I wasn't quite so quiet. Praise God for that. I was so thankful for my wife and her skill set because there was a group of young people that felt safe and comfortable and heard and loved in her presence. That's not that they didn't with me, but they felt more comfortable in that situation. Aren't you glad that God has each given us differing gifts so that everybody's needs get met? So our first point is that each believer has been given a gift. If you are a believer here this morning, a follower of Jesus Christ, he has already given you a gift or gifts. Log that. That's important. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that we have no gift. We're going to address that in just a bit. Secondly, let's consider this. The purpose of the gifts. So Peter continues in verse 10 Use it to serve one another. So it has, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. For what reason have we been given gifts? To serve one another. John F. Kennedy was a famous American president, and he gave a quote that's been repeated many times. It was on posters, and it says this, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The North American church needs to think about this slight rephrasing. It might be really valid for us to just stop a moment and tell it to ourselves pointedly. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. As a a church in the Western world, we have this reputation for being very consumeristic, People come to church for what they can get. Maybe it's community, or belonging to something, or the programs offered, or some good singing, or even practical needs getting met. But then something goes wrong. They aren't getting what they came for, and they move on. Very similar to the culture's perspective on marriage, if they aren't getting their felt needs met, they disengage, and they look elsewhere. I noticed on Facebook that someone was looking for a church that wasn't compromising with the culture. Not a bad thing. Someone posted that they should go to the river. It's like a concert every Tuesday was the comment. Now, I'm not going to apologize for the fact that I would say that's not a local church. That's an entertainment event if it's like a concert every Tuesday. The church is not intended to provide entertainment for its members. The church is a community. Participation in the local church is a lifestyle. It's where you contribute, where you are loved, where you are challenged to grow, where you are lovingly confronted when you do wrong, where you are looked after and cared for. It's much like a family. We don't all live together in the same house. We don't all do life together all the time. But we are invested in each other. We look out for each other. We love each other. And we belong. The New Testament never really talks about the local church in terms of what a member gets from it. Almost exclusively, it's what a member of a local church should be bringing to the church. For all my life, as far back as I can remember, coming here to something like this on a Sunday was attending a church service. This is a church service. The very name imparts the idea of serving. It's not coming to get as much as it is coming to give, to serve. Now, that said, God in his great grace very often meets my needs when I come. Sometimes needs I didn't even know I had. And I come away filled. I don't know. Is that your experience? Yes. All right. Maybe you weren't even looking for that. But you go home and you say, man, it was good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. It was good. (laughs) Paul, in today's passage, instructs us to come ready to serve one another. Sorry, that was Peter in today's passage. Paul, talking about our differing gifts in Romans 12, said, let us use them. Now, I'm not trying to say that our gifts are only meant to be used on Sunday either. God gave our gifts to be used whenever needed to serve each other. We, we said it before, but it bears repeating. When God's word refers to the church, it is never referring to a building. That's a very North American thing, right? This is called St. James Presbyterian Church. But the New Testament doesn't talk about a church as a building, um, but rather refers to those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. In the New Testament, the church always refers to believing people, followers of Jesus Christ, not the building that they gather in. So thus far in verse 10, we have learned that every believer has been given a gift— And that gift is to be used to serve one another. This is borne out in other epistles as well. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12 says this, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Ephesians 4, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Here's what this means for each of you. If you have a gift, which we've already established as a fact, then you need to be involved in the church in order to use it. Now, this is what else it means. If you are not invested in a local church, then not only are you losing out on the blessing that comes from obediently using your gift, but the church is losing out on the blessing they receive from your gift. You are lacking, and the church is lacking too. Brothers and sisters, we don't live stream our service as a general rule, and honestly, I pray we never will. Maybe in some very limited circumstances we might do that if someone was housebound and was unable to come, but as your pastors, we firmly believe you need to be here. You cannot fully receive the blessing of another's gifts if you're not in attendance, and you cannot fully exercise your gifts sitting on your couch in your living room that doesn't mean that we are sitting here every Sunday with an attendance list and checking to make sure that everybody's shown up. It's not like that. We love you. And we want you to receive the full blessing that God has intended for you as his child. And his intended method for doing so is that you come and you receive a blessing from exercising your gifts, and you receive a blessing from someone else exercising their gifts towards you. It's a double blessing. And when you don't come, especially if you don't come intentionally for a long stretch of time, you are missing out. You are missing out. You need each of your fellow believers to exercise their gifts for your benefit. And we need you to exercise your gifts for our benefit. It's not about you coming to Sunday service so that only the pastor or pastors can exercise their gifts for your benefit. That is a small part of it. That is our gifting. But it's nowhere near the whole. Our focus statement at the beginning was, as the body of Christ, we have been given gifts. Not to serve ourselves, but to serve the body. Remember the parable of the three servants whose master was going away back in Matthew 25? He gave five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to a third. Upon his return, he called them up to give a report. He was able to tell the first two, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. The third one did not do anything with the talent given him, other than bury it. And his master was very angry. Now, I know that the third person represents an unbeliever. right? Because in that particular story, right at the end, he is cast out into that place of darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know that that refers to hell, eternal damnation for those who are lost. Right? So I'm, I'm very carefully using this as an analogy. It doesn't necessarily fully apply here. But when I'm called before my Savior to give a report, and he says, Mike... I gave you gifts to be used for the building up of my church. How did you use those gifts? I desperately want to give a report that results in him saying to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you? Don't you want that too? I know that it would crush me if I saw disappointment in his eyes. And I want to be careful as I say that. Because I know that many of us can struggle with already feeling like God looks at us and he must be disappointed because we mess up so often. I'm not talking about that. When we are given gifts, all that God asks for is faithful obedience to using those gifts for his church because he loves them. He is passionately in love with his church. You know that the New Testament often refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And Jesus has been waiting a while for his bride. And he is keen. I know one gentleman in this room who is waiting for the time when he can be with his bride. And there's an eager anticipation of that day. Right, All the more Christ. He is so eagerly waiting for that time when we will be with him. Don't you want to be ready? Don't you want to be equally ready to be with him when that time comes? I know most of you in this room pretty well. I know you'd want, to be de- you'd want him to be delighted. So take a moment. Do some self-reflection. Is there anything that maybe the Spirit is showing you this morning that's, that's prodding you at that you, you need to change? Is there any way in which you could be serving, you could be using those gifts God gave you, in which you've been holding back, whether because you're shy, or unsure, or, let's be honest, maybe even lazy? If you're afraid of making a mistake, remember, you are among family. We love you, and there is grace to be found here. Ask questions. Seek coaching with a humble attitude, ready to learn. Oh, church, let's resolve to use our gifts consistently to the best of our ability to please the one who has done so much for us. Third, there is the source of the gifts. The source of the gifts. Verse 10 wraps up with this phrase. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. What does Peter tell us is the source of these gifts that we have received? God. Seems pretty obvious, right? For those of you that grew up in church, this sounds like one of those Sunday school questions that they ask where, (laughs) you know, everybody knows the answer, regardless of whether they were even listening. Right? But it is also completely necessary to mention this due to the fact that we still have a sin nature inside of us. If we are not constantly reminded of the fact that the source of our gifting is God himself, then our sinful natures will find it far too easy to make one of the following three mistakes. Number one, we believe the lie that we have no gifting. I mentioned this before. We believe the lie that we have no gifting. As a consequence, we do nothing to benefit the church body. And eventually, we believe we are unnecessary. And therefore, being there isn't important. It's a lie of the devil to take us out of the mix and cause the church body to suffer as a consequence. Secondly, we devalue our gifts and become envious of the gifting of others. We devalue our gifts and become envious of the gift. I wish, I wish I was more like him. I wish I could sing like her. I wish I could, right? We don't think our contribution is important. We wish we had someone else's gifts. What we're really saying is that God messed up and gave us the wrong gifts. That's what we're saying. He didn't know what the church body really needed. Again. The body suffers when we do that. Thirdly, we become proud of our gifting. We begin to think and act as if we're the gift. It's our skill, our talent, our personality that is essential. God is blessed to have us. We're indispensable. We forget that everything we have and are comes from him and is for him. Romans 11:36 says it so well for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Yes, there's going to be a Lord of the Rings reference. Like Denethor. In the Lord of the Rings, we must not forget our place. All right? Denethor was the steward who forgot he was just a steward. Man, I'm good at that. I'm a steward. And I'm good at forgetting that I'm just a steward and not the king. It is essential for us to remember that we are stewards. No more, but no less either. We must faithfully carry out the responsibilities entrusted to us by the king of kings for his kingdom purposes. Brothers and sisters, being a steward is a noble and honorable position. In olden times, a steward called up his most trusted servant in the entire kingdom and attributed to him all the authority of the king while the king was away. Do you hear that? Huh. The king has gone to prepare a place for us in his father's house. He has given to us gifts and responsibility and authority in varying spheres. That is a noble and honorable responsibility that we have been given. Let's live up to the honor of that role. The next verse gives us the description of the gifts. In verse 11, Peter states this, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Notice that Peter has roughly divided the gifts into two categories, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. If you want to study this in more depth, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 are three passages that talk about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, if that's of interest to you. However, in preparing today's sermon, I was trying to categorize some of these, and it became very challenging. <laughs> For example, people with speaking gifts aren't necessarily talkative, and some people who are really talkative are clearly not spiritually gifted. Not only that, but rarely is one gifted in only one single isolated area, the gifts are often blended together. For example, a gift of mercy can be applied through both words and service. So I don't believe that Peter meant to draw a hard line categorizing anything. It's just a rough grouping, right, for the ease of talking about it. Notice what Peter is saying, though. Clearly, in both instances, whatever your gifting is, Recognize its source and use it accordingly. If you have a gift that involves speaking, then first ensure that you are walking in the Spirit because the words you do speak need to be the voice of God. And if they are, then speak boldly, gently, lovingly with the confidence that you are speaking the oracles of God. And if, sorry, and if you have a gift that involves serving in some way, then seek God for the strength that he supplies and serve with all your heart, willingly, cheerfully, sacrificially. The gifts aren't meant to be the focus. The ones who benefit from the gifts and the giver of the gifts, they are the focus. As Jermaine put it when we were talking about this, to have a heart of service, wanting to see the betterment of others, instead of it being about self-fulfillment, is basically all you need. Finally, the goal of the gifts. Peter wraps up verse 11 with this phrase. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is really the climactic point of it all. The glory of God. Anything we do, even so-called good or religious things we might pour ourselves into, will ultimately be fruitless and unsatisfying if we are doing them for self. You can't do these things with the intention of earning your salvation or gaining favor with God. If you're here today and you're still in your sin, then your sin contaminates all of your works and it makes them worthless. Instead, you need to turn in repentance to Jesus Christ, the only one who is worthy, and seek the forgiveness and salvation that he has purchased with his own blood and if you are here today and you are in Christ, having already found salvation in him, then his righteousness is your righteousness. His perfection is your perfection, and you couldn't possibly gain more favor with God than Jesus has already gained on your behalf. God looks at you if you are in Christ, and he sees his perfect beloved son. What could possibly be better than that? So as a consequence, you now serve him um, with your gifts, not because you want to gain his favor, but because you already have his favor. God loves you with an everlasting love, and your service for him is a response to that everlasting love from a heart of love. And the worship that comes from an appreciation of his amazing, lavish, transforming grace toward you, you serve as an act of worship. That's what your service is. It's an act of worship. You serve in harmony with Peter's declaration. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you say it with me as a declaration from your own heart? To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The goal of our gifts is his glory. This naturally brings us to a question. Okay, then, how do I determine what my gifts are? How do I know? Raise your hand if you've ever asked this question. Yeah. I have asked this question. We do, right? All right. Look around. Oh, sorry. I was going to say look around, but anyway, hands are back down again. But I'm going to tell you, and you just have to trust me, that pretty much everybody's hand was up. Everybody asked it at some point in their life. All right? So let's take a look at this quickly in closing. The answer to this is nowhere near as mystical as I used to think it was when I was a young man. There are a few principles that I want to give you to help you In this area. Number one, pray and ask God to show you. Pray and ask God to show you. That's a pretty simple and straightforward one, requires no uh, elaboration at all. God is faithful. God hears your prayers and he answers them. Be patient if you don't get an answer right away. Number two, listen for the needs and begin to meet them. As you are able, listen for the needs. You have to be attentive. You have to be intentional. Here at Fellowship Oshawa, we have been blessed with a passel of children. Passel, what a great word, eh? And there is a genuine need to serve those kids and their families on Sundays. We pastors are very grateful for those who are volunteering a Sunday every few weeks to serve in nursery and kids' church. And as we move into the new space at the YWCA, and as we continue to get new visitors coming and joining us, we will likely need more help there. Consider serving in that area. We would be asking for your time probably once roughly every six weeks. Come ready and prepare to participate as you are able in the services. Maybe during our communion time, We're looking for someone to volunteer a hymn, or just to pray and direct our thoughts and our remembrances to the one that we are there to remember, as we consider his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, I'm going to pop that back because I wasn't ready for that one yet. Um, Look for ways to be a part of it. Right? Could you play an instrument? Could you volunteer to pray? Could you manage the AV? Would you simply come up and read a passage of scripture on prayer Sundays? At the beginning of this service, I read that passage from Psalm 66. Maybe you would like to come and volunteer to do that instead. In the new space, we'll need to set up chairs and equipment. We won't have pews. We need you to take this on. If you're interested in participating in the worship or the children's ministry, come and talk to me. If you're looking at a ministry team like Setup or Hospitality or AV, talk to Jermaine. We'd be happy to talk to you about plugging in. And thirdly, get into a discipleship relationship and talk to your discipler. It is really important that your gifts be affirmed by godly, mature Christians. Here at FO, we are keen on discipleship. It's a biblical mandate from Matthew 28, and it's where real growth and spiritual formation happen. If you're not in a discipleship relationship and want to be, talk to Chris. In discipleship, you will get to know your discipler and be known by your discipler. It's a great place to talk about what your spiritual gifting might be and to be affirmed in it. Last two things I'll add here as we close is that your gifting can change over time. And your gifting can also benefit from training. I have grown, hopefully a great deal, um, by studying from people with experience on preaching, on putting together a message that becomes easier for a congregation to follow. I have grown from that. How do I study a passage and know what the key points are that I need to bring out? How do I do that well? I have this scary, sometimes, responsibility. I think anybody who's ever preached will, will add a hearty amen to that. It is a scary responsibility to stand here and take God's word and preach it to you as the voice of God. Because there's going to be a day where I'm going to stand before him. And I'm going to have to give an account. Training can help a great deal. I want to do it well. What's important now is that you obediently respond to whatever God is leading with what you have today for the good of the body of Christ and for the glory of God. Uh, Yeah, that brings us to a wrap. Could you uh, get Chelsea, please? Let's just pray. Father, there's so much in these, just these two verses, but in it, one of the biggest things we see is your massive heart for your people, your church, your bride. How you love us deeply, that so much so that you are very intentional about providing for our needs. And so you gift each one of us in the body with something that will nourish and build up the body of Christ as a whole. Father, help us to be faithful to the responsibility you have given us. Help us to be good stewards of those gifts. Let us be intentional about using those gifts for your glory and the good of your people. And may we all be blessed and nurtured and encouraged and matured in it as we use those gifts and receive the blessing of others' gifts for your glory and for our good. We just give you thanks, Lord Jesus. Amen.